Good morning. It is really good to see you this morning. We were doing so well, weren't we? As Dave said, I'm sure there's a few more people joining us online this morning, so good to have you with us online as well. We want to keep praying for all the people that uh, in Florida and especially here at Bay Area who have tested positive. It just seems like in the last week, 10 days, things really took a turn. Uh, but you know, God's good. We're going to deal with it. And uh, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad we're together today. So, so welcome. You know, for the past uh, several weeks, we have been talking about labels and hashtags here. And I've been trying to just talk about some things that, that I think are important. And last week, I cheated a little bit because I really wanted to talk about Acts 2.42 so I just called it hashtag 242 and, and talked about those things that were important to the, those very first Jesus followers, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This morning, I'm not sure if this is a continuation of our labels and hashtag series, or it's really part two of last week's sermon. As Forrest Gump would say, I think maybe it's both. Because today I want to talk to you again a little bit about this idea of community, but I want to do it through a little bit of a different lens. Now, quite often the problem that we have with community is the community that I want to be a part of, they don't necessarily want me a part of their community, right? You ever run into that? The group that I want to be a part of, all these great people, I'm not really great enough to be a part of that group. I want to be in that group, but that group doesn't want me to be there. You know, that word exclusive, it's kind of a big word when you talk about community. You know, gated communities are exclusive. Country clubs are exclusive. Some schools are exclusive. In my high school, I'm sure it's probably the same in yours, the way things worked in the school cafeteria at lunchtime was everyone set where they sort of self-selected. You sat at a table according to your level of coolness. Right? Was it that way in your high school too? You know, all you kind of in the same social strata when you sat down at a table. And I remember when I was in the ninth grade, a member of the varsity football team invited me to come sit at their table. And I was kind of torn. I was had a dilemma. Do I leave my nerdy freshman table where I really fit in well just to go sit at the cool table? I mean, am I really that shallow? Well, of course I was. So yes, absolutely. I was excited, but I was really nervous too. So I walk over with my tray, and I'm so nervous, I sit down, but I don't put my tray far enough on the table. And as I sit down, I spill the tray into my lap. Wait, it gets better. We had tomato soup that day. So I have a lap full of tomato soup now. Later that day, I'm walking down the hall, and there's a couple football players past me, and I hear one of them say, that's the kid that spilled tomato soup in his crotch. <laughs> so needless to say, I never again was invited to sit at the cool kid's table. But we all have this desire to be a part of community, right? It's just hardwired into us. We want to be a part of something. But again... Sometimes the community, the group I want to be a part of, I'm not really 
invited into that community. I don't really feel like I fit, like I belong. And then sometimes, I think we're the ones telling people, yeah, you don't really have a seat at this table. So here's our hashtag for today. We're sticking with hashtags. Uh, hashtag, if this works, I don't think it's, there you go, hashtag squad goals. Now, if you have a really good memory, you're going to remember that the very first week of this sermon series, I sort of poked fun at squad goals because it's so popular and it's a little bit nebulous as well. Google, which I did, Google the most popular hashtags used in social media. Squad goals is one of them. The idea of what a group of people, a group of friends hope to accomplish. So this morning, we're going to talk about squad goals. Uh, David, King David, wrote this little psalm. We call it Psalm 133. But he makes this great statement. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. God has a dream for mankind. His dream is that as brothers and sisters, we can live together in unity. But of course, sin comes along and messes that all up. So Jesus shows up and he recruits a squad. And he originally recruits just 12 guys to be in his squad. Remember, we call them the apostles. Jesus called them one by one. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then came Philip, Thomas, too, Matthew, and Bartholomew. Why are you looking at me that way? <laughs> you know that song, don't you? Thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. You know that song, right? You've heard that song. Okay, some of you need to spend some more time in Faith Lane. But yeah, Jesus goes out and he handpicks 12 men to be part of his squad. Now, I'm sure that these 12 men didn't think at the time, wow, we are now the 12 apostles. We're going to be famous. Little kids are going to sing songs about us. No, these are just 12 men who Jesus said, come with me, and they decided, I'm going to go with you. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the 12 apostles. And, And as I walk through the list... I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. One, why did Jesus choose this guy? Two, how can I maybe identify with this choice? And then three, okay, what can I learn about community? What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about Jesus as we we kind of move forward in this thing? So it all started like this. Mark chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So, who is Jesus going to pick? Only twelve, which is not a big number. You think about a squad of twelve, it's not that many. They'd fit in the church van, right? I don't think that twelve was a random number, by the way, but he chooses twelve men. Who's he going to choose? Well, it's going to have to be people who have some real leadership ability. It's going to have to be some men who really are influencers. He's going to have to choose the movers and shakers of Palestine if this thing that he's hoping to launch is going to really get off the ground. 
So, here we go. These are the names of the twelve he chose. Simon, he renamed him Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Twelve men. Why did Jesus choose those twelve men? Well, let's walk through the list for just a minute. First, there's this guy named Simon. Uh, Jesus gives him the name Peter, which means rock. In every list of the apostles in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the book of Acts, Simon Peter is always listed first. I I read somewhere that someone said that uh, Simon Peter seemed to be first in faith and also first in failure. That name Rock uh, fit Simon pretty well. He was, his, uh, his life was a little bit rocky when it came to some of his, some of his interactions with Jesus. Um, you know, one night Jesus walks on water and he says, uh, Simon Peter actually asks Jesus, can I come join you? And Jesus says, yeah, come on out. And Peter does for a few steps and he gets scared and he starts to sink and, and Jesus saves him. Another time, Jesus tells these men that he's going to suffer and die at the hands of the Romans. And Simon Peter pulls Jesus aside and said, you know, you shouldn't talk like that. In fact, Scripture says he rebuked Jesus. You know, you're kind of depressing us when you talk like that. Jesus then rebukes Peter. And he says, get behind me, not Peter. Get behind me, not Simon. Get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. When they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, you know, the mob comes with the soldiers. Jesus is sort of expecting those men, his followers, to respond with faith and with peace. But Peter's the one who pulls a sword, takes a swing, cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers there. Jesus says, put your sword away, Peter. I'm in charge. Earlier that evening, uh, Jesus said that you men are all going to deny me. You're all going to forsake me. You're going to abandon me. You're going to turn your back on me. And again, it's Peter who pulls Jesus aside and said, you know what? Those guys might. You're right. I'm not sure I'd trust them either. But you can trust me. I would never turn my back on you, Jesus. I will die before that happens. And of course, just a few hours later, it's Peter who is denying Jesus three times. Even... After the resurrection, Paul has to confront Peter face to face because Peter's going down this wrong path. He's, he's trying to appease some, some really legalistic uh, people. Peter seems to always be messing up. You ever feel like you just messed up? You ever feel like you put your foot in your mouth? Do you ever think, boy, I would love to be able to go back and unsay what I just said? I would love to be able to go back and undo what I just did. Peter was an apostle. He was part of Jesus' squad. But it wasn't Peter who made the squad great, and it wasn't Peter who made Jesus great. In a lot of ways, especially at the beginning, Peter's a little bit of a failure. Kind of messing up. We can identify sometimes with Peter. Even when we fail, there's a place in the squad for us. Then the next two disciples listed are... James and John. 
James and John were the sons of Zebedee. Jesus gives them a nickname. He calls them the sons of thunder. Which sounds like a really cool nickname, right? Until you realize they could also be translated sons of anger. You had to be a little bit careful around James and John because you're never quite sure when they might go off on you. They were one time going through a, a Samaritan village, and of course the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. And James and John didn't think that they were being received like they should, so they asked Jesus, would it be okay if we just call down fire from heaven and burn these people up? Because that's what I think we should do. I think we just need to call down fire from heaven. You say the word, we'll make the request. These people need to be taught a lesson. Isn't that the right thing to do, Jesus? And of course Jesus says, that is not the right thing to do. No. And then another time, James and John decide that they want to be greatest in the kingdom. You know, first Jesus and then us. So they get their mom to go talk to Jesus. You know, hey, when the time comes, I want my boys sitting on your right and your left. Think that'd be okay. And Jesus says, you know, I hate to disappoint you. And I hate to disappoint your sons, but no, that's not okay. You don't understand. You don't even know what you're asking. And then once there was somebody who wasn't part of the group, and they were doing something good, and John stops them. And John tells Jesus, hey, we came across somebody who was casting out demons in your name, but he wasn't one of us, so I told him to stop, because that's kind of what we do, right? No, didn't I do good, Jesus? And Jesus said, no, not really. No, you didn't. You know, if they're not against us, they're for us. Don't stop someone from doing good. This isn't just about you, John. Listen, if you've ever had anger issues, if you've ever been a little bit impulsive and made some mistakes... Maybe you can relate to the sons of thunder. And of course, it's John, along with Peter, who are on their way to the temple one day to pray in Acts chapter 3, and they come across the man who is begging because he's lame and he's asking for money. And Peter and John tell him, you know, we don't have any money, but we do have something that I bet you might want. And they say, in the name of Jesus, walk. And this man is healed. The religious leaders uh, have a problem with that, so they call in Peter and John to question them, really to intimidate them. It's in Acts chapter 4, and here's what Luke has to say. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were, and here is their unflattering description of these two men, realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Who would ever draft these unschooled, ordinary men to be on their team? Who would choose these men to be part of the squad? They're just unschooled, they're ordinary. Which, interesting, the Greek word for ordinary right here is the word idiotes. I-D-I-O-T-E-S, idiotes. Anybody want to guess what other word we get from that Greek root word? Yeah, yeah. To the Pharisees, you know, Peter and John, they're just a couple knuckleheads. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled, ordinary, no credentials, no resume, other than the fact these guys have been with Jesus. These sons of thunder, nobody would have drafted them. Nobody would have chosen them. Yet they're on the team. 
Do you ever regret your temper? Do you ever have problems with being a little bit too impulsive? You can probably relate to James and John. The next is Andrew. Andrew's always fascinated me. He's the fourth apostle listed, but we know who he is because he's described this way. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Question, how many times do you think Andrew was introduced or referred to as Simon Peter's brother? I am the youngest of four siblings. I am very used to being introduced or referred to as somebody's little brother. But the ironic thing about Andrew is he's the kind of the first one to find Jesus. I got it on the screen there in John chapter 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John, talking about John the Baptist, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, that would be Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he, Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. You know, I wonder if Andrew ever got frustrated the fact that Simon was the one who got his name changed. Simon was the one with the cool nickname. Simon was the one who got to preach. Simon was the one who everybody seemed to notice and pay attention to. He got all the recognition. No, all I am is Simon Peter's brother. No one ever referred to Peter as Andrew's brother. It was always the other way around. One of my favorite television shows is Everybody Loves Raymond. I still watch the reruns. And if you know that show, you know the dynamics is this guy named Ray who is the family favorite all the time. There's always a tension between him and his brother Robert. And every couple shows, Robert will shake his head and, and roll his eyes and say, Everybody loves Raymond. I wonder how many times Andrew thought, Everybody loves Peter. But the great thing about Andrew is, he was always bringing people to Jesus. Almost every time we see Andrew, he's bringing someone to Jesus. We just saw on the screen there, he brought his brother Simon to Jesus. Once Jesus was out preaching in a huge crowd, everybody was hungry, there was no food, except Andrew found a little boy with some bread and some fish. He took him to Jesus. There were some, some Gentiles that were following them around, and nobody knew what, quite what to do with the Gentiles. So Andrew took him to Jesus. Andrew seems to always be introducing people to Jesus. I don't know, maybe in your own family you feel like your identity is somewhat limited. Maybe you feel like an afterthought sometimes. Maybe you can identify with Andrew. Introducing people to Jesus. Jesus called them one by one. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then came Philip. We don't know a whole lot about Philip. One thing we know is he was from the town of Bethsaida as was Andrew and Peter, as was James and John. So here you have these five men from the same little place who would have known each other. So you got this little, this little thing going on with these five guys, five out of the twelve, and this little clique already. And these other seven men had to figure out how they're going to kind of break into that. 
You know, when a church has been around for a while and people have been uh, doing life together for a while, it's really easy, it's really natural. I don't think there's anything wrong with it either, but we get really comfortable with each other. We know how things work. We know what to expect. We get to be a pretty tight group. I know there's some people here, some people online who have been here for a long time. Those of you who haven't, I hope you're here for a long time. But Jesus always expects all of us to live our lives with arms wide open. To be looking for people who are like, do you feel like you're on the outside? Let me invite you in. Do you feel like maybe you're not sure if you have a seat at this table? Let me assure you, you do. Who can we invite? Then there was a guy named Thomas. We've all heard the phrase, doubting Thomas. That's what we call him. That's not what they called him. They didn't call him Doubting Thomas. They called him Didymus. John chapter 20, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve. A chapter later, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and then another list. Didymus is the Greek word for twin. Thomas was a twin. Now to us, that's a cool thing. Twins are kind of a cool thing to us. It wasn't such a cool thing in the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, childbirth was very dangerous. It wasn't unusual for the child or the mother, and the mother, to die in childbirth. So twins, multiple birth, was even more dangerous. In the ancient world, the idea of twins, that was a bad thing. It was was even a bad omen. Plus, in the ancient world, it was the oldest, the oldest son, who received the birthright. The oldest son was the one to carry on the family name. The oldest son was the most important. So if you had twins born and both of them were boys, there was a little bit of tension there. You know, think Jacob and Esau, right? Um, Because the oldest son mattered. The youngest, the the second born, the younger twin, hmm, not so much. In fact, historians say that in the ancient world, sometimes the second son born to a, in multiple births, they were just called Didymus. They were just called twin. Because they didn't really matter nearly as much as the other. I just told you, I was, I'm, I'm the youngest of four siblings. Two of my siblings are sitting right here. They will back me up on this. When I was growing up, I was always the kid. Still is. Everybody just called me the kid, except my mother. My mother never called me the kid. But everybody just, I was the kid. In fact, right before my dad died, he said, you know, I feel bad that we called you the kid all those years. It's not very respectful. And I'm like, I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't, that's who I was. I was just the kid. But that's who Thomas is to so many people. He's just Didymus. No, again, this is the one that's overlooked. He's the one that doesn't really count. He's an interesting guy, Thomas. He's an apostle, but he is a doubter. There's a reason we call him Doubting Thomas. He's a believer, but he's also a skeptic. Remember one time Jesus is going to uh, Bethany? He's there to, on his way there to, to raise Lazarus back from the dead. And they have met some opposition in that area before. So uh, John chapter 11, 
Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. We're all going to die, let's go. He's going to die, let's go die with him. Not the greatest pep talk, right? I'm not sure that Thomas was the most cheery guy to be around. But there was a place for him. He was on the squad. Do you ever have doubts? Do you ever think, I pray, but I'm not sure it does any good? Do you ever skeptical? You can probably relate to Thomas. There was room for Thomas. Now, Jesus saw something in these men that I'm sure they didn't even see in themselves. This idea of Christian community. It's not about, can I be around people who just constantly build me up and make me so much better? Can I be around people that, you know, can help me with my business? This isn't a networking thing. You know, it's it's not always glamorous either. Let's face it. You know, Christian community sometimes is really hard. I talked about this last week. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of grace. Because all of us need a lot of patience. And we need a lot of grace. But let's keep going. Uh, The next guy named is Simon. So this is the second Simon now in the group. And distinguish him between Simon Peter. This, is, this man is returned, referred to as Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots were kind of a subgroup of Jews who were really passionate about getting rid of the Romans. They hated the Romans. In fact, they were sort of the terrorists of the Jews. Um, they didn't mind resorting to violence when it came to to fighting back against Rome. In fact, the only people that a zealot would hate more than the Romans Romans was maybe a tax collector. Because the tax collectors were Jews who had sold out to Rome. And they were getting rich by cheating their own people. So zealots really hated anyone who was sympathetic to Rome, especially tax collectors. So Simon the Zealot was part of Jesus' original squad, as was Matthew the tax collector, which I think is so great. I think it's so great that Jesus chose these two men to be part of the original 12 apostles. Could you imagine the introduction? Simon, I want you to meet Matthew the tax collector. Matthew, I want you to meet Simon the Zealot. Jesus, he's going to kill me. Jesus, I'm going to kill him. No, no, you don't even know him. Hey, you two are going to be roommates. You know, this is so great. You know, Christian community, listen to this, Christian community is not where you get away from difficult people. Because we're all difficult people. Tax collectors, zealots, I think sometimes we are a little bit guilty of promoting and kind of advertising and maybe expectations of this, you know, what we do as being a place where everybody gets along all the time. Never any issues, never any disagreements. No one's feelings ever get bruised. Jesus' squad is where Simon the Zealot is always going to find Matthew the tax collector but they're both a part of Jesus' squad. Well, there's a couple more kind of obscure uh, apostles. 
There is a guy named James. So we have another James in the group. He is not the brother of John. He is the son of Alphaeus. He's also referred to as James the Less. Think about going through life like that. That's James the Less. Who are you? I'm Tim the Obscure. I am Tim the Inferior. They call me mediocre. How would that... What would that be for your self-image? And then there's a guy named Bartholomew, a man named Thaddeus. Don't know much about him except he asked a question once. And, of course, there is one other apostle we know a little bit more about, and that's Judas Iscariot. We know him as liar, thief, traitor, backstabber. 2,000 years later, to call someone a Judas, that's not a compliment, is it? How can there possibly be room on Jesus' squad for this guy? It certainly wasn't Judas that made the squad great. So, let me ask you a question. I'm going to tell you up front, this is an easy question. It's not a trick question. you got a really good shot at this one. You're in church. Go with the obvious. Who made that squad great? Go ahead, say it. Jesus, thank you. Absolutely. It was Jesus that made the squad great, which brings me really to my one and only point of this pretty simple lesson, and that's this. What makes Christian community Christian isn't the presence of Christians. It's the presence of Jesus. What makes a Christian community a Christian community isn't it's full of Christians, it's because of Jesus. And what I mean by that is... If you take any one of us out of here, this thing still works. You take Jesus out of the equation, it falls apart immediately. It'll never work without Jesus. And in Christian community, the presence of Jesus is always available to us. Now, we can ignore it, and we can be blind to it, but the presence of Jesus is always available to us. And what that means is, when I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this person? What am I going to do about this lady? You know, what am I going to do about, the, what, about this group? What I should be thinking is, what are me and Jesus going to do with this person? What are me and Jesus going to do with this group? Now, how are me and Jesus going to handle this? Because Jesus is always with me. I've got to tell you, I'm a better man when I'm with my wife, when she's with me. She just makes me better. She holds me accountable. And there's things that I might try to get away with when I'm by myself, but I won't try to get away with it when Martha's with me because I know where her standards are. And I want to try to live up to those standards. I know where Jesus' standards are. I'm a better person when I realize Jesus is with me. So this, this whole idea of community, it's always me and Jesus. When I'm dealing with, with one of you, it's, it's me and Jesus dealing with one of you, and I hope it's you and Jesus dealing with me. And that changes the dynamics. That changes everything. We're talking squad goals here. So let me end with um, a squad goal, a pretty famous squad goal that Jesus gave, uh, gave these men and by extension gave us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've written. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Hashtag squad goal. 
We're the squad. That's the goal. To be disciples who make disciples. To baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach everything. Everything that, that, that Jesus commanded us. To teach people to love God. Teach people to love Jesus. God has a dream. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's God's dream. But we can never do it alone. You know that. We could never do this alone. You think about the world we live in. You think about the racial violence. You think about the religious violence. You think about the domestic violence. But Jesus comes along and he starts this movement. And he starts it with these 12 of the most unlikely people you could ever imagine. Chronic mess-ups, sons of thunder, big-time doubters, little cliques going on, somebody's forgotten kid brother, people who can't get along with each other, deceivers, deniers. And who would have thought that 2,000 years later, all over the globe, this thing would still be growing. And who would have thought that 2,000 years later, we are invited to take part of this? Ordinary, messed up people like me get to do life with ordinary, messed up people like you and Jesus. Because Jesus has invited us into this relationship with himself and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and with each other. You know, we talk about doing life together. Well, we're doing life together, but Jesus is what makes it work. Jesus is what makes the squad so great. You know, and that's why this 242 focus is so important. And that's why we have and we will talk about this 242 focus of being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I hope that you'll all be a part of it. Dave's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. Um, if you're joining us online, there's going to be a link where you can ask for prayers or a, a follow-up. If you're in the auditorium this morning and you just need to share something with the family here, uh, you can meet us down front. Let's be standing as we sing.